listeners, this is Mackenzie. Before we get into this week's recap, I just wanted to quickly apologize for the quality of the audio on this week's episode. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of a recording mishap that resulted in audio that wasn't quite up to our usual standard. And we did consider re-recording the episode, but since what our podcast really consists of is the two of us having a spontaneous conversation, we decided that re-recording probably wasn't going to result in the best content for you guys. So we're leaving the episode as is, and we hope that it doesn't detract too much from your enjoyment. Again, we're so sorry, but thank you for your patience, and thank you so much for listening. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries podcast. I'm Jenny Vandress. And I'm Mackenzie Clark. And today we're talking about season one, episode four, Death at Victoria Dock. Perhaps more accurately named Death and Missing Person at Victoria Dock. There was a lot going on in this episode that was unconnected, and yeah, it was a lot. What were your thoughts on this episode overall before I launched my rant about this episode? <laughs> well, so. This is one of those episodes where there isn't really much of a mystery, was kind of my main thought. Like, very early on, it's pretty clear who the killer is. And there, even with the missing girl case, there aren't that many twists and turns. Um, And I think sometimes, there are a few episodes like this, I think sometimes that can be refreshing. um, Because it gives more room for the, like, interpersonal stuff, which, as you know, I prefer. (laughs) Um, But in this one... I don't think that they really did that, so it's it's an okay episode. It's not my all-time favorite, but, you know, it's all right. And honestly, like, I, not a throwaway. I don't mean that because I love every episode of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries ever. But um, I struggle with it. And honestly, so I've been tracking when I remember who the murderer is. I didn't even bother with this episode because, A, I, it has a similar plot line to several other episodes later on that are frankly more interesting. So for a while I thought, oh, it's that episode where this happened. <laughs> and then, and like, there's two, like, I just, anyways, and then I was like, oh, well, that's stupid. And I, then they tell you who the murderer is, like, halfway through. Yeah. I felt like a fraud because at the end of our last episode, we said, oh, this is a good one. And I remembered liking it. But then when I rewatched it, I was like, nah. <laughs> well, I remembered liking it, but I remembered it as a different episode entirely. I thought it was a different episode, so. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> I don't know about my status as resident expert after this, but. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think the problem is, though, for me, is that, like, I like watching these this show, but then it doesn't like stand up super well to the scrutiny that we're putting it under. <laughs> Two and a half hour discussion, yeah. So I just want listeners to know that I make fun of this show, but I do love it, obviously. <laughs> or yeah, like... same same thing. I do think upon further scrutiny, though, sometimes the plot lines are a little bit dumb, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Things bad things. Oh yeah. Oh, also on the note of like remembering who the killer was, I was trying to do the same thing this episode, and then I have written like. I think I remembered who the murderer was one minute in, and then I wrote, nope, just kidding, that girl does not get murdered. <laughs> well, yeah, see, that's, I mixed it up with that other episode with a girl in a nunnery. Oh, that one, that is, that's a good one. I, that's a really good one. And I've watched that one a bunch of times, and at first I thought it was that one, and then I was like, no, it's not. 
Is that the season two finale? Uh, maybe. A steamy episode for sure. Uh, I love well, that might be my, anyways, I don't know what my favorite episode is. My favorite but episode is season three premiere, Always and Forever. Oh, yeah. That or the one with the costume party in season one, which hopefully we're getting to soon. <laughs> I also enjoy all the circus episodes. Yeah, yeah, I kind of have high expectations for those and they don't always deliver, but my bar is like, you know. Yeah. It's very high. You're actually not thinking about the circus, whereas I'm like, fun colors! Oh, cool, they're doing tricks. Yeah. All these weird characters. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, now that we've talked about other episodes. <laughs> um, so, the cold open of this episode is a, like, really close-up on this crying girl's face, um, and she is, like, shoved into this room and starts praying. Like, it definitely looks like she's been forced into some kind of, could it be, asylum? Dun dun dun! <laughs> Which, frankly, yeah, I, I'm just, I also warned you, I'm in a dark mood today, so I'm just gonna be really hard on this episode, but the cold open is, like, stupid. I, like, I don't think could have done something different. Well, it's the second one in a row where we're not seeing a murder happen. Um, we're seeing, yeah. yeah, we're just seeing some kind of, like, aside, or I don't know. But Anyway. Yeah. Um, so then after that, we cut to some kind of, like, a riot with some men rattling a fence, and then Miss um, Fisher pulls up in the Hispano in this, like, magnificent white ensemble with this, like, big fur wrap, looking like, you know, definitely <laughs> like she's the man, you know, interrupting I definitely this. like she's going to, you know, the docks in this all-white outfit. She's kind of, like, seems like a grimy part of town to be wearing white, too, but... Yeah, I mean... What do I know? Once again, we don't have maids to get the spots out, so... Um, so then... It turns out she's meeting with some kind of, like, factory boss whose workers are striking, and that's who is outside. Um, and he wants Miss Fisher to find his missing daughter, Lila. Right, and Phryne asked, well, this guy knows Aunt Prudence, so that's the connection. That's why Phryne is there. And Phryne asked if it has something to do with the workers' strike, and it doesn't, which is true. Bit of a well, false trail there. <laughs> yeah. Again, they, they it's almost like they were trying to tie the pieces of these like basically three different storylines in this episode yeah yeah that are not connected to each other except that they're happening at the same time in miss fisher's life yeah so then an actual murder occurs um miss fisher hears a gunshot and runs toward it which would never be my reaction but you know and she almost gets shot and then uh comes upon the you know the first guy that got shot who's like bleeding out and crying keeps continuously crying out for nina it, you know, another great example of when, when it's not good to wear white, when someone is, like, experiencing arterial bleeding. Uh, also, in the scene, he, like, pulls an engagement ring out of his pocket and hands it to her. And says, give to Nina, tell her, and then he dies. That seems heroic, but I don't know. Like, I feel like if Dan, my husband Dan, was dying, he wouldn't, like, you know, pull out an engagement ring for me. He would be yeah, like... because you're already married to him. Yeah, but, like, before we were married, you know... Well, okay, okay, but... I think you have to understand that Nina didn't know what he was doing. And, like, he was taking a risk in coming to the docks to do this thing. That's true. Nina did, was, he did include Nina in, so I think it was on his mind that, like, he took this risk and then he was dead, or going to be dead soon, and Nina didn't know, so. Yeah, you're probably We also see in the scene that he has an anarchy tattoo. Oh, yep, that's true. Um, so then, you know, he presumably expires, 
and uh, Miss Fisher appears, like, very rattled by this whole thing. Kind of more rattled than you almost ever get to see her. Um, she's covered in blood, and there's a funny scene where, like, she takes off her top in front of Hugh, and he seems really uncomfortable. <laughs> he just sort of, like, holds the bloody fur and sort of, like, looks away. Yeah, and underneath she just has a camisole on, which was maybe scandalous for the time, but now is like, you know. I mean, it was a very large fur, so. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the, it was anyway. Yeah, there was something of the, like, holding up a towel to change at the beach mm -hmm. situation, but. Right. Uh, I guess what you're saying, like, she was actually just wearing a shirt under her shirt, and that wasn't that scandalous. Like, she maybe didn't need the fur held up for her. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe, you know, Hugh didn't need to be quite as scandalized as he was, but. So, yes, Friday's very rattled, and then she tells Hugh that she's ready to go home now. Uh, <laughs> And um, Aunt Prudence is there, uh, and sh Mr. Butler also has a drink right at the ready for Franny, which is good because Aunt Prudence is about to start whining about the fact that Jane is going to be suspended from school. Yet another storyline that is not connected. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, who's surprised? Like, you take a traumatized orphan and you send her to some fancy school. You think she's just going to fall in line? No. Yeah, anyways. Oh, and Prudence also asks... Friday if the shooting was connected to the strike and Friday says it's impossible to say and Prudence says it's time someone put these union hooligans into line which I thought was a bold statement given that someone had been shot yeah um, also I wrote down that she tells Friday that Jane is going to be suspended for being flippant, flippant conniving and uncouth which I thought were some, some pretty uh, strong words but them's fighting words yeah um, but also, like, a very specific offense. Yeah. Do you think that she would have been suspended if she had just been conniving and uncouth, but not flippant? No, I think it was the combination of the flippant, the conniving, and the uncouth. Sort of a three-strikes situation. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, Miss Fisher takes a bath, aided by Dot. Well, so then also she, like, in the bath, appears to be having some war flashbacks, where it looks like she mm -hmm. was a nurse. Mm-hmm. Also, I know that it's it's serious, but also I was really admiring her bathtub. It's like a very cool, like copper, like clawfoot tub type thing. Oh yeah, I've always wanted one of those clawfoot tubs. Why don't they make those anymore? That shit's cool. It's, it's like it's a very nice size. It's not like the full size tub, so it, like fits in her like in her room. I don't know. It seems nice. Yeah. So then Miss Fisher gets up early to confront Jane about her suspension from school. Gets up early. She says, this is what happened before 9 a.m. So uh, early it was. <laughs> <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Jane, it turns out, was totally justified in her acting out because of mean girls. Yeah, she's beating up those bullies. For the, Also, I don't know if beating up bullies qualifies as flippant, conniving, and uncouth, but... Maybe uncouth. Flippant is like, I mean, what, what is flippant? Like, talking back to the teachers yeah and was she conniving it sounds like the girls that stole the shoes and the glasses from the other girl were, were conniving um <laughs> anyways Friday says that they can take their business elsewhere if necessary so oh she's so not upset i have beef with this scene because then jane is like oh but i really like the books and the library and i like i hate this trope of the like hard knock kid with a heart of gold because she loves reading, and, like, reading is the cure for everything. You know what I mean? It's, like, I so mean, overdone. I guess. It kind of warms my heart. 
Yeah. You know, I love reading. I love reading too. Had a hard not had a hard not upbringing like Jane. I loved the, the library at school, and sometimes kids were mean to me, and I'd go into the library. I don't know. All right. Well, maybe you were a better child than I. I mean, I loved reading too. I read all the time. But if my mom had been like, "We can pull you out of that school," I don't think I would have been like, "But I love the library," you know? Right. But Mackenzie, I don't think you understand what the the library at Wally Grammar was like. Yeah, you're right. Oh, so then Dot comes in and um, some Hugh teasing occurs. Um, also, be- before Dot comes in, I noticed that Mr. B places Phryne's napkin on her lap for her, which I had never thought of something that, like, I would want someone else to do for me. They do that at fancy, like, really fancy restaurants. Oh. All right, so Dot also says that Mr. Waddington has called several times. Also, what do you think of Mr. Waddington as the name of, like, a rich doc boss? Oh, I didn't even think of that, but he's got wads of cash. Yeah. Anyways. That's definitely what he used to uh, attract his very young new wife. Well, yeah, clearly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then, on the next scene, Hugh and Jack are, in fact, at Mr. Waddington's investigating. Wait, wait, wait. First, in this scene, Phryne asks Jane if she knows Lila, who is the missing girl, and she does. Right, yeah. What a coincidence. They go to the same school. Um, So in the next scene, Hugh and Jack are at the crime scene. And I love this part where he was like, well, the victim had a tattoo of an A. Oh my god, this is so good. And he starts listing off different, like, names of sweethearts that could be, like, Amelia, (laughs) Arabella, Anna. (laughs) And Jack just looks at him and is like, I think, I don't think it was any of those. It was anarchy. And he's like, oh. (laughs) It um, reminded me of a scene in the Fargo movie, um... There's a scene where the officers show up to the scene of this murder, and the one, the local cop, ugh, local clods. Yeah, that's, uh, they're always useless. Anyway, the local cop is like, it looks like uh, he started to write down the license plate number of the car, DLR. So that must be the first three letters of the license plate. And then, you know, the, our main character cop, who I think is like, is Francis McDormand, I think. Um, she's like, well, I disagree with your investigating there, officer. I think those are dealer plates. <laughs> um, anyway, that's just what that reminded me of. We also find out that the victim was Yorko Rosen, age 24, and he was Latvian. Right. And he appears to have snuck into the warehouse where he got some red paint on him because he was rifling through some crates that appeared to contain red paint, but underneath just had a bunch of ammunition. Mm-hmm. And they also found out that he was not a striker, so he wasn't involved with the with the strikers, and he didn't work at the docks, so. Yeah. And we also find out that Jack also has some war flashbacking to do. Which, another, this is funny, because he's, like, there's sort of, like, music playing, and he's talking about how these, the ammunition, so they find the ammunition in the box, and Jack is like, ah, it's for the Browning Automatic, they called it Walking Fire, and, like, music starts playing, and he's like, it would cut through a line of troops like a knife through lard, and then Hugh's, like, taking notes, and he's like, Walking Fire, and I'm like, oh, okay. Jack was, like, having a moment. Yeah, Jack's like, oh, sweet summer child, you don't know anything about World War. (laughs) Um, The other thing we find out in this scene is that there's a Riga... Latvia address on the crate. So the crate came from Latvia. I don't think um, it's ever really established how it got into Mr. Waddington's warehouse in the first place. Well, I think because he's, like, importing things, and he's 
bringing this this solvents and paints in from Riga, and then these Latvian anarchists had used the shipments to smuggle in the ammunition for their guns. So then they had to break into the warehouse to get it. Look at you with your logic. Well, Mackenzie, I'm trying to keep track of this very complicated murder plot, so you're welcome. (laughs) All right, all right. Um, and then also in this scene, Jack reprimands Hugh for leaving the scene of the crime to take Miss Fisher home and states that they have to establish who wears the trousers in this relationship. And then it immediately goes to Friday's house, and guess what she's wearing? Trousers. Yep. And uh, there was never any question about who wore the trousers. We always knew. Uh, and it's totally, like, clear in this scene as they attempt to ask her questions, and she just, like, with the absolute height of pleasant politeness, like, totally stonewalls them and, and just gets them to answer her questions that she has about the crime. <laughs> um, she, oh, yeah, all she says is she saw two men drive away in a dark car. Yeah. And then Jack accuses Miss Fisher of being drawn to trouble like a moth to a flame, which, like, duh. <laughs> right, Captain um, Obvious? Uh, also, Friday seems sympathetic to Latvian anarchy in this scene. She does, yep. So I looked up Latvia, because I didn't know a lot about Latvia. So Latvia declared independence after World War I in 1918 and became increasingly autocratic. So it was kind of like they declared independence, and she makes a comment in the scene like that Russia and Germany and everyone was trying to get a piece of Latvia. So there's kind of multiple governments trying to rule Latvia at once, um, and then kind of an autocratic government uh, rose to power and... There was a coup in 1934, so that would have been after the show takes place. So during the show, the autocratic government is in charge. Um, but there's been some kind of since World War One. There's been contention. So All right. well, more on this later because I did some more research too. Um, yeah. So Miss Fisher sends Dot off to pack up some biscuits for Hugh, and then she gives him the ring that Yorka gave her. And in order, she's, like, bribing him to get past her information by, like, giving him insider info that he can use to impress Jack. Oh, man. Yep. And she says, never hurts to impress the boss, which I thought was funny because, like, has she ever had a job before? Well, yeah, she was a nurse in the war. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know if that was a job where you had to, like, impress the boss. It seems like more, like, military service, so I don't know. But, um, oh, also, so, earlier in the scene... Sorry, in the scene before they go to the kitchen, Friday does put forward a theory that the anarchists were pitching in with a strike to give it more heft, um, to sort of, like, lend their strength to the to the striker's cause. False. Yeah, this is her attempt to connect these two storylines, and I don't think there was ever any evidence. I think they were just trying to break in and get the ammunition for their gun. The thinnest of threads. Yeah. Um, so then in the next scene, Miss Fisher is investigating the missing daughter again. She's at their Waddington's house. On oh, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Did, I'm behind in my notes because they're written in sort of chicken scratch in my notebook. But can we talk about how Dot tells Hugh that the ring is an engagement ring? She does bring that up, yeah. And she's like, and Hugh's like, acts like he knew it was an engagement ring, but he definitely didn't. And also, he's like, girl, we've been on one date. Like, just because you gave me some cookies, we're not getting engaged. <laughs> You're Catholic. <laughs> All right. So, Miss Friday goes to see Mr. Waddington. That was my only last note. Yeah. Um, <laughs> turns out that his first wife, Lila's mother, was very religious, and she was also very ill. 
and the daughter seems to have, have inherited this religious fervor, um, and her room is full of, like, religious paintings and rosaries and stuff. And then Friday, of course, notices that there's a, a gap in the wall and says, what was here? Because that's what you ask. I don't know. I have a lot of gaps on my walls. I don't think anyone would walk in and be like, what, would, what used to be here? Was um, there sort of a spot on the wallpaper, though, like in the shape of a painting? Uh, yeah. Anyways, and Mr. Waddington says it was a painting of the Virgin Mary that his daughter likes. Yeah. But it's not there anymore. Suspicious. <laughs> um, and then his new wife, very young and pretty, uh, walks up. And she's also pregnant with what, to me, looks like a tiny melon. Very <laughs> small little belly. And then Miss Fisher interviews Lila's brother, Paul, who looks like a member of the Von Trapp family. Yes, he, d- he definitely does. He's wearing, like, an ascot, which I found to be a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, but so, so Mrs. Waddington says that she's going to take the blame for Lila leaving because she, Lila was expressing concerns that Mr. Waddington wasn't treating the strikers with in a very Christian way, and then Mrs. Waddington was defending Mr. Waddington, but that sounds like it's a pretty, pretty rich story. I don't know if I... I don't know if I buy it. Well, you know, the best place to hide something is in plain sight. So if she's taking the blame, I'm just saying, could be more to the story. <laughs> um, and then Paul is like, won't say anything about where he thinks Lila is. And then Miss Fisher coaxes out of him that he might be, she might be at this convent, the Sisters of Mercy, which doesn't seem like a secret worth keeping to me. You know, it's not like no. she she's at her boyfriend's. Yeah, no, like she's at a fucking convent. Yeah, but, like, her family didn't want her to join the convent. I don't know. I, I don't know. Paul, my note is that Paul seems useless. Yeah, I I was thinking that he has about three lines. Like, literally, he has, I think, three lines in the whole show. Anyway. And mostly he just stands there looking sort of like, Ooh. And, like, I don't mean to take, I'm sorry. I We find out later, and everyone's seen the episode, so it's not a spoiler to say this, and I need to stop worrying about having spoilers. <laughs> but like he's have so he's having an affair with his stepmother but like he's also underage so like he's basically being taken advantage of and essentially abused so i don't want to be too hard on him being useless but i don't know yeah i mean do we know that he's underage like still it's an inappropriate situation but i guess we don't know how old he is but so. he can't be older than like 20 well yeah because let's see he briny asked well briny asked jane about him and he like picks his sister up from school so he can't be that old he's like picking his sister up from school i don't know like on a bike yeah true i don't think he has a job no no anyways i think he's being taken advantage of and i shouldn't be so hard on him but he's wearing an ascot which i just have i just struggled (laughs) i struggled with it um so then back at the police station uh he was showing off his like engagement ring clues which wait wait wait. no first they go to the convent oh yep you're right i skipped that sorry (laughs) <laughs> really important scene to the mystery Mackenzie yeah medium importance um so they go to the convent and the reverend mother uh had last seen Lila the previous day which was the day she disappeared um we find out that Lila wanted to be a nun and Miss Fisher thinks that's a ridiculous ambition and also she thinks that the reverend mother is lying Yes, also, I love the scene where before the Reverend Mother comes in, they're sitting there, and Friday's expressing her views about how crazy she thinks it is to become a nun. And Dot is, like, sort of defending it, and then she looks over at Miss Fisher, and she's like, knees, Miss Fisher, and pulls down her skirt. Uh, that was hilarious, because she had, like, approximately three inches of knee showing. Like, yeah, 
<laughs> it was like, no, I was on it, on it. Yeah, my middle school dress code would have found that outfit to be totally inappropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a very modest outfit by yeah. today's standards. Like, if I wore that, I, people would think I was going into a convent. <laughs> All right, so I believe we left Jack and Hugh at the scene of the crime. Yeah, and Jack, or Hugh, is showing off his ill-begotten engagement ring clues to Jack, who's like, nice work, constable. Um, and he also, he has found out, so using the address on the lid of the ring, the lid, the box, on the ring box, he has traced it to the jewelers and found out that Yorko was hanging off in installments, and then the jeweler gave him his address. And Jack gives him a little attaboy. Yeah, Even but, though I'm pretty sure Jack knows what is going on. He knows what's he knows up, what, yeah. He knows the Fisher side of you up for success. So then, back at Shea Fisher, Jane, as it turns out, has inquired around school about Lila, and nobody likes her because she writes in her diary nonstop and, like, gross. Why would you be friends with a girl that just writes in her diary all the time? What's, what's wrong? I mean, I don't know. I don't write in my diary all the time. But also, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. But also, um, she gets picked up from school by her brother on his bicycle, and everyone thinks that the brother is, like, a real... Well, and the girls call him the Sheik, which I don't really understand It's the ascot. They call him the Sheik. Oh, really? The Sheik. (laughs) Um, yeah, well... I mean, I would understand more if they called him the shit. I don't know. Um, and then I think... Uh, Hugh shows up in this scene, or he calls to let her know. He calls, yeah. He calls to let her know what he found out from the ring, which is, I believe, the fiance's full name. Yes. Nina Aliena. And then Friday says, I wonder where you have to go in this town to find a Latvian anarchist. Mm. A question I ask regularly. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met a single person from Latvia. No. How many do you think there are total? People from Latvia? Yeah. Let's find what? out. Population of Latvia. Oh, wait, I have it pulled up because I looked up Latvia. Well, I used to have a Danish friend, and she, when she was living in Boston, used to um, tell people when they met her that they were very fortunate to have met a Danish person because there were only, like, a million of them total in the world. So, you know, the chances were low. It was a low probability. Well, so you have a higher probability, I guess, of um, finding a Latvian because the 2006... 2006- 16 population estimate is 1,953,200. So almost 2 million. Yeah. The point is, there's almost 2 million Latvians. Which really isn't that many. I think Boston has a larger population than that. Yeah. Well, all right. So it's not very likely that you would find a Latvian, much less a Latvian anarchist. Although I do think, so in my research, there were some Latvian anarchists that were hanging out in Australia at this time. Like that's historically accurate. There, there would have been some Latvian anarchists in Australia. And, in Melbourne, typically. And who better to sniff them out than Bert and Sess, our local experts on the underbelly of Melbourne. And all things politically radical, I would say. True. Yeah, true. We met them as the Red Raggers. Yeah. Which I was thinking about the Red Raggers in, in re-listening to a few of the first episodes. That just makes does we can cut this, but doesn't that make you think of like periods? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, like, you're like on the rag. On the rag. Yeah. And then that's anyway. That's exactly what I think. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have to cut it. I think everyone's right, thinking right. it. <laughs> Is that an authentic Australian term? So, so they go to a sketchy building where one might find a Latvian anarchist in this town. Yeah, and she's dressed so over the top. 
She looks like she's trying to be an extra in Dr. Zhivago with her fur hat and her little boots. The fur hat is, it's a lot. And she's like, I think she's trying to blend in, but like the other Latvian, the other like anarchists that we meet that are women are not dressed like Franny. So. Yeah, they can't afford a fur hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does spout off a bunch of like communist jargon, so Sess and Bruce, she'll, she'll do. Yeah. And then she once again uses her come hither gaze to get some info by luring over this guy, Peter the Painter. Which, okay, so this is the other historical research I did. I actually kind of got very fascinated by Peter the Painter. So this is an actual historical figure. He's sort of the anti hero. Um, and so Sass and Bert point him out and they say, ah, that's Peter the Painter. He's on the run after the siege of Sydney Street. So the siege of Sydney Street, in case you were wondering, oh, I am, was a gunfight in East London um, after a jewelry robbery gone wrong. So some Latvian anarchists tried to rob some jewelers. It go, it, they get caught basically, um, and three police are murdered. So then two of the gang members hole up in Sydney Street. So this is in London. Um, and they, they're holed up in this building, and the building catches on fire, burns down, and they find two bodies in the building. So presumably the two gang members died. So Peter the Painter is sort of like a mythical figure, but also like a real person, but they don't really know who it is. Um, and he was kind of a minor member of this gang that was caught up in this this um, jewelry and siege, but he was not present at the siege, but he ran away afterwards. And there is historical, while well, Carrie Greenwood, the author of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, like interviewed some dock workers who claimed that they knew that Peter the Painter was hiding out in Melbourne after the siege of Sydney Street. Um, other fun fact about the siege of Sydney Street. So Winston Churchill was there. He was the home secretary at the time. And his presence caused a political row because he was kind of a high up level official to be uh, present at this scene. Okay. Um, this was also the first siege where police called for military backup because the Latvian anarchists were better armed than the police were. And then after this, the police got better weapons because they weren't really prepared to, you know, like deal with these, these criminals. So anyways, Interesting. that's the siege of Sydney Street. Um, so she, after she fetches this historic figure, Peter the Painter, with her come-hither gaze, she questions him about the victim, Yorka Rosen, and lets him know that this guy's dead. And they have, like, some sort of awkward flirtation. Uh, <laughs> and then he, like, sees someone walk in and immediately gets up and tries to, like, punch this guy and is like, what happened to Yorka? And then there's, like, well, some it's sparring. The, it's the man from the docks at the beginning. Yeah, right yeah, so... The mystery is basically solved at this point. <laughs> Correct. Well, no, not quite, but... But, yeah, why do men always think they have to solve their problems through violence, you know? You don't gotta punch the guy. Yeah, I think he kind of did, though. Yeah. Well, he, like, didn't, he didn't have to shoot Yorka, so... It's a vicious cycle of toxic masculinity. Well, and really, Peter... So, Peter, in this situation, is advocating for less violence mm-hmm. overall. I mean, I, I get that he's committing violence in this scene, but his whole thing is that, like, they don't need to get this automatic weapon to, like, hold up a bank because I don't know what his answer is, but... <laughs> I mean, I think that Peter the Painter is poised to become, like, a non-violent activist, you know? Yeah, but totally. Totally. Just, you know, his 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 people aren't with him yet. They're, yeah. 
they're using guns still, so. Although he also is armed, so I don't know who he is to talk because he has a gun. Yeah. Um, anyways, my favorite part of this scene is when Friday throws off Sassenberg when she, like, starts making eyes at Peter the Painter and is like, here is my romantic conquest. She's like, it's easier to pass off as a revolutionary without a posse of staff. Yeah, so true. So true. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So then she makes a quick escape. Um, and we sort of follow her back to her house where ominous music is playing and the camera's following her from behind, indicating someone has followed her. And she's, yeah, it's very, it's very heavy-handed. Yeah, and she's fumbling around for her keys, but a twist, she was actually just getting out her gun to turn around and pull it on the person who followed her, which turns out to have been Peter. So he just wanted to talk. Yeah, well, maybe he should have... I don't know. It seems like there's so many options if you want to talk to a woman besides following her home in the middle of the night. True. But, you know, I mean, she's a witness to a murder, so I guess he's got to be stealthy. Yeah, she's also armed, so. So then Peter tells us the real story, uh, which is that Yorka tried to destroy some ammunition that these would-be revolutionaries were after, and so they shot him. Mm-hmm. And Peter also used to be, quote, close to the fiancé Nina, who is also now in danger he says right because yeah she might know that why is she in danger unclear because because she was engaged to yorka and yorka kind of turned on his comrades and was like don't be so violent yeah um so then we get our first our first sighting of nina in the next scene where uh she is at the autopsy and she's crying and has identified yorka as the the victim but she is like kind of playing dumb pretending she doesn't really speak english Uh, yeah yeah. Also, I noticed in the scene that the mortician was smoking a cigarette, which I found very strange. I was like, would you really be smoking a cigarette, like, in the morgue? Do you think he washed his hands before he put them up to his mouth like that to smoke that cigarette? No, probably not. Gross. <laughs> also, okay, let me get your thoughts on this. So, then Nina's outside, and Franny, like, goes to talk to her, I think. And the, they definitely filmed this scene at the same location that they filmed the scene in the first episode where oh the women's hospital yeah where the the botched abortion Alice goes it's the it's the same like balcony area I'm well, pretty sure <laughs> well maybe it's the autopsy is done at a hospital <laughs> no that actually that could be true like the morgue could be at the hospital yeah but that's it's explicitly a women's hospital so I don't think so yeah York was a man well, they spent all their money on hats. Yeah, that's what you get when you spend your money on hats and cool cars. And yeah, although actually, she hats. wears she wears the same hats repeatedly, so I don't think they did spend all their money on hats. Well, there is a crowdfunding campaign for the movie, of which I am obviously a supporter. So I don't know if this is like a super high budget project. Well, they raised like over a million bucks, didn't they? Oh yeah, the crowdfunding campaign went really well. Yeah. I mean, thanks mostly to me and my, like, $50 contribution. $50? Big spender. Look, okay, I had had a few drinks, <laughs> and then I got an email about it. Or probably I saw it on Instagram, which is, like, my weakness. Oh, yeah. I thought, you know, you need to support the things that you really care about. And what I really care about is Miss Fisher, so then I clicked on it, and then I did <laughs> Like, I was a little bit drunk, and then I donated enough money to get a signed bookmark by Nathan Page, so now I have that. Did you get the custom lipstick color, or just the bookmark? 
just the bookmark. I am not a, a woman of means like Miss Fisher. So. <laughs> Did you? I do was you... only to support the bookmark level. <laughs> <laughs> do you keep the bookmark under your pillow? No, it's it's hanging up in my bedroom. Okay. Well, I'm a recent convert, obviously, as you know, to Miss Fisher fandom. So I I arrived to the show after the GoFundMe or the Kickstarter was over. I don't know that it's over yet, Mackenzie. Huh, I could still give. But they're, now they're, like, in production, so they well, get they it. they haven't started filming yet. Oh, all right. They're filming soon, though. And listeners, be, you can be assured that we will be reviewing the movie. Oh, yes. Perhaps a special deluxe episode. <laughs> uh, if only there's another season. Like, a movie is fine. But I just want another season. Yeah. Then, of course, Miss Fisher breezes up. She knew all... She knew they were at the morgue, thanks, presumably, to Hugh's tip-off. And I love in the scene she's wearing her, my favorite red hat. Oh, yeah. That hat's good. See, they didn't need to buy new hats for every scene. They had so many excellent ones. Yeah. I actually kind of like that she wears the same clothes a lot, because <laughs> it's more realistic that she wouldn't actually have a different outfit for every day. So then Miss Fisher takes over this interrogation, and surprise, she speaks Russian. <laughs> Of course she does. Yeah. Uh, and her charms work on Nina, who is pretty reluctant to believe that Yorka was shot by his own comrades, as Peter claims. But she does say that he was trying to keep things from going too far. Yeah. And then Miss Fisher tries to get her to see that she's telling the truth by dropping names and by saying, you know, she heard it from Peter, which doesn't work again. So I think maybe it's time for Franny to give up on the name dropping track that she that she seems to take a lot. But hey, she dropped the name and then she got information that when Peter said they used to be close, it's confirmed that they are definitely not close anymore. And you know what? We never find out why. <laughs> so, well, no, no, we don't. No, loose ends. Because don't you think it's is it because Peter? Because I think Yorka was in on the gun scheme at the beginning. And I think Peter, this is my theory, Peter, as soon as he hears about the gun thing, he's like, you guys are idiots. Don't do the gun. Don't smuggle these weapons in. That's stupid. Old wounds or old, I don't know, it's a new country. We can't be doing these old things. And so then I think at that point, Peter's like breaks off from the group. And then Yorka doesn't at that point, but then he starts to think about what Peter said. And he his conscience is troubling him. And then he turns on the other people. Well, it's all conjecture. Who knows? No, I'm definitely right. <laughs> so Nina also says that she was told there was a struggle with the security guards, but she figures out that she's been lied to. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So she thinks the security guard shot Yorka, but like Miss Fisher was like, I was there, bitch. It was not the security guards. Um, Okay. So back at Shea Fisher. Wait, first we go to the docks. Jack and Hugh are at the docks and the crate has been ransacked. There was like an explosion that called Jack and Hugh away and then they come back and the crate has been ransacked. Oh yeah. I guess I totally didn't write that down. I think it was a very brief cut, but anyways. Oh yeah. So this means that whatever else was in the crate, because they just did a preliminary investigation of the crate and found one thing of bullets, and then there was an explosion, they ran off, and when they came back, whatever else was in the crate, presumably more bullets were gone. Was gone. Yeah. yeah. All right, now we can go to Miss Fisher's house. So Mr. Butler appears to be making canapes or something like that, but there's creepy music playing, which indicates that something is afoot. Indeed. Uh, Miss Fisher, like, rushes in, runs up the stairs, and immediately starts taking her clothes off sort of which i mean i can sympathize with that because when i get home you know the first thing i do is 
Put on those sweatpants. Yeah. I know. I was gonna say that is usually the first thing I do when I get home from work is like take off my work clothes. Take off those garters. Unhook that corset. Put on your <laughs> loungewear. <laughs> it's more like take off the moderately comfortable pants and shirt I've been wearing all day and put on even more comfortable ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> But then, shocker, Peter is in the room, and he grabs Miss Fisher, um, and his hands are just all over her. I know, I was thinking, I had that down, he, he very intimately holds her. He really has got, like, after he releases his hand from her mouth even, he's got his hands, like, on her sides, which is... Oh, yeah, it's like, it's like right up there, it's like right under the boob. Yeah, so that's pretty, that's pretty cheeky. Um, but... Old man, just hiding in a woman's bedroom and, like, pouncing on her. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I do think there's a lot of great tension in this scene. It's obviously not my, you know, my favorite love interest, um, not my number one choice, but I think these actors do a good job of, uh, you know, playing up the tension. They're both, like, breathing a a lot, and there's a lot of eye contact. I don't know. I thought it it was well acted. (laughs) so then peter reveals that he's the one that told yorka to destroy the ammunition as you said before um well wait no but yeah my theory falls apart because that can't be why nina and peter were estranged oh because she wouldn't have known no right yeah because she didn't know he was doing that right forget everything i said earlier Ugh, shucks um, but so Peter feels terrible. Like, he feels like it's all his fault that Yorko was killed. And now he's very sorry that he put Miss Fisher in danger. But he's not so sorry that he's not down to fuck. <laughs> yup. They just, they just start kissing then. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And uh, then suddenly they're naked. Yep. And the, we cut to some, like, post, post-coital prison tattoo yeah. examination. Yeah, that just happened. It happens in rapid succession. It's like, oh, this strange man that I met once before has broken into my home and is hiding in my bedroom and, like, grabs me when I walk in. And then I just, like, have sex with him. I just, I just don't know. And isn't it a little early in the day for all this? I mean, it's clearly broad daylight. This is, like, afternoon delight happening. I mean, I'm not judging. Yeah, I just kind of feel like, you know, that's an activity for the established relationship do you i mean do you you screw around in the afternoon with someone you just met i don't know the lights are on it's yeah but then you can examine all his prison tattoos true yep in full daylight i don't know i mean i think mackenzie that you're very stuck in the confines of a nine-to-five job whereas (laughs) miss fisher is a lady of leisure I mean, she has, I, I'm not saying she doesn't have a career. I'm just saying she's not at a desk nine to five. Her life is less structured than that. I wish I was a lady of leisure. And she takes the cases that interest her, you know? That's true. And then Peter the painter is a Latvian anarchist on the run from the law. He's definitely not, like, constrained about sort of, like, capitalist schedule. Yeah. So, decks in the afternoon? Sure, why not? True. It's true. You know? Maybe the, maybe the man, maybe the... the free hand of the market it's not gonna want you to have sex in the afternoon <laughs> the mods oh my god the yoke of capitalism exactly that says in the afternoon you're at work nope this was a revolutionary act that they were committing <laughs> it was a political statement <laughs> <laughs> So then after this scene, presumably shortly thereafter, Miss Fisher is leaving her house, uh, which we can tell is being watched. And just getting the mail. You know, you have sex. You're done and you've like examined all the 
prison tattoos of your lap being anarchist and what do you think you think i ought to get the mail and then it's all just like credit card applications uh but my favorite thing about this scene is the way she springs down the lane with this you know just this little jump in her step that i just got laid spring to her stride there um and jack is walking up and he is just all business like and he's like oh, i need a serious word she's, and like, she's a, like i just had sex with a latvian anarchist a serious word with me <laughs> um but then of course they get shot at by the latvians hate it when that happens yeah and what do you think jack what was he trying what was he gonna say i think maybe he was gonna be like stop trying oh, yeah, to get gonna, like tell her to yeah stop. well then he does her job then he does, yeah. But first he, she sort of jumps down and hides behind some kind of rock or something, and then he pulls her up by the hand, and they sort of linger holding hands for a second. Mm-hmm. Which is really, it's the only little bone that we get thrown in this episode. I know. And it's a pretty See, pathetic one. This episode was the perfect chance for them to just really ratchet up the fryy Jack sexual tension, but no, they wasted it all on a lab and purpose. Well, I think we're going to get some in the next episode. <sighs> we better. <laughs> Um, so then, yeah, they go back in the house and Jack is just there to tell her off for her interference because she's putting herself in danger, which is sort of a new tack that he's taking. He's not just like, stop interfering in my business. Now he's like, I don't want you to get hurt. So that's new. I found it rather touching. He's like being protective and he's like, you need to be more careful. Yeah, true. Get used to it, Jack. He might have a point. He might, yeah. Certainly, I wouldn't do such things. So Also, in this scene, Franny's removing her stockings in a rather suggestive way because they've been torn and her knees are, are torn up, and Jack looks shocked. Yeah, he sort of purposely looks the other way. Um, and also, he sees right through the help that uh, she's been giving to Hugh okay. in exchange for tips. Um, and he asks her to lie low. She says she has a, quote, delicate domestic matter to keep her occupied, a.k.a. Presumably a Latvian lover. Yeah, her Latvian lover. Like, you've heard of Latin lovers. We've got a Latvian lover. Here's, okay, Peter the Painter. I find him, like, he's, like, kind of a sexy character, and now that I, like, researched him, it's like, ooh, he's, like, on the run from the law. But here's my problem with this character in the show. The actor has far too good of teeth. They are very white. They are very straight. They are very well cared for. And I'm just saying, if you were a laughing anarchist on the run from a law, your teeth would not look that good. You know, I think that my father, circa 1998, would have loved to have this discussion with you because every movie we ever watched, he (laughs) always pointed out how everyone's teeth were too clean and nice. And then if this had really been the olden days, they would have had <laughs> rotten-ass teeth. I mean, he has a point. That was my thought. Yeah, so well-spotted. <laughs> um, I also, this is a tangent that we can cut, but I read this article once about women in movies who are sort of, like, in these, like, extreme circumstances where they're, like, it's a, they're in the jungle or it's, like, the apocalypse, and they somehow manage to have, like, perfectly shaved armpits. <laughs> And then, like, this article, like, photoshopped, like, famous movies where, like, it's some woman, like, out in the wilderness, you know, and then they just put the hair back into their armpits. Oh, my God. Well, Think about it, though. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to shave. And even if you could shave, you wouldn't be spending time shaving. Well, you know, this is actually one thing that I really like about the Outlander book series, which for a lot of reasons are sort of silly and not really that good. And I mean, I probably will get hate mail for saying that. I read them all. To be clear, I read them all. (laughs) But I love that, you know, and they're pretty cheesy, but I love that they address not only the fact that she doesn't shave um, and that one, one instance when she does, 
her husband, Jamie, thinks it's really weird that she did that and is like, what the fuck? And then they address, like, menstruation and they address birth control, too, which is something that's also not commonly talked about in these, like, you know, historical fiction situations. Although, in Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, they do talk about birth control, so. That's true. They do. They don't talk about dating. Unless we're talking about red raggers. Oh, did you say shaving or... I said shaving, yeah, but... (laughs) They also don't talk about menstruation beyond the red raggers. No. <laughs> um, anyway, so, oh, also I think it's cute when she says she has a delicate domestic matter. Um, it's sort of a parallel to a future delicate domestic matter that she has that's going to make Jack very jealous. But it's a very different situation, so. Okay, that is actually my favorite episode. 100% my favorite episode. Uh, For those of you who are obviously watching the show in tangent with the podcast, we won't ruin it. But yeah, don't want to ruin it. Uh, so then Jane shows up, and she's got the hugest fucking ribbons on her braids. They're so out of control huge. But her little uniform is really cute other than that. Yeah. <laughs> and she appears to have snatched Lila's diary right out of her locker at school, which is an ex- excellent example of children following in the footsteps of their badly behaved parents. She's seizing evidence without a warrant. Good work, Jane. I think I think Franny's proud of her. Yeah. Um, and then Franny warns Jane not to go out. Oh, yeah, because it's not safe, because there's Latvian anarchists out there. Honestly, it kind of seems like she should send her to stay with Aunt Prudence. Like, they're watching the house. She was just shot at outside of her own house. It's definitely not safe to be there at all. No. No. Oh, well. <laughs> Um, so then Miss Fisher reads the diary, and there's a reference to some forbidden love. But love conquers all. Paul says love conquers all. Yeah. Oh, foolish Paul. It sounds like a flowers in the attic situation, which is what Miss Fisher thinks it is. Oh, and then Uh, also also in the diary, she says that the Madonna cried real tears today. Yeah, right. I bet. (laughs) Is she crazy or is it Maybelline? Um, it's Maybelline, we find out later. Yeah, it's definitely Maybelline. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Miss Fisher goes back to the convent, um, who reveal that they turned Lila away when she asked to stay there. And also, they turned her away because Lila's father bribed them not to take Lila on. <sighs> I look at this as very effective fundraising on the part of the Reverend Munder, Mother, and I commend her. Don't want to lose your kids to the marriage with Jesus? Then just pay us. A small donation will benefit everyone. Totally. So then we go back to the Waddingtons, where the stepmother is wearing a weird banana print maternity dress. Just want to note that. (laughs) And she reveals that Lila saw her mother kill herself, which seems like an odd action for an extremely religious person to take. Just saying. She was very Catholic. But she was seeing signs. Yeah. Well, yeah. So she was not in her right mind. Um, And then we see that there's definitely some unnatural love going on, but it's definitely between, like, you know, it's not a Jamie and Cersei Lannister situation. It's more of a, I can't think of a popular culture reference to a stepmother lover sort of a situation. No, although I'm sure there's one in Game of Thrones we're just not thinking of. Yeah, there's gotta be. Maybe a fray. I don't know. Um, and then Paul gives Miss Fisher the painting to examine. In um, also, the, the stepmom claims that she had the staff get rid of the painting. Mm. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. But then Paul knows where it is, so maybe she just had Paul get rid of it. Yeah. So then 
Dot and Miss Fisher are reading the diary some more. And, like, wouldn't you love to read the diary of a teenaged girl? I bet that shit was full of just delightful gems. I, yeah, I've read through my diary from when I was a teenager. Not for a while. But it was very painful. Oh, yeah, I have mine. I I have, like, extensive journaling from when I was in high school. And I don't, I don't ever want to read it again. No. No. Also, but in the diary... Lila is saying maybe it's time for May Day because the Madonna is crying real tears. So number one, the Madonna is not crying real tears. And number two, May Day refers to the May Day Mental Asylum. Which not, of course, knows. Yeah, that's weird. Why does she know that? Anyway, Miss Fisher has discovered that glycerin has been applied to the painting. And I don't know how she figured this out or why this would work. Okay. I, I tried Googling it and there was just absolutely nothing that came up on the internet about creating a fake crying situation through the use of glycerin and, like, face powder. Well, Friday Fisher figured it out, though, so... Could it be a skill of the week? <laughs> um, Stay tuned to the end of the episode and find out. Yeah. So then Jack and Miss Fisher run to the asylum um, to fetch the poor girl out. And I'm not convinced Jack needed to be there at all. The father did not want the police involved, but I think that they just put him in there so that they could have a scene of him carrying this girl out like the hero he is. I think this is foreshadowing to a future time when Jack will be carrying someone else in the same manner. Perhaps. Ooh. <laughs> Stay tuned, listener. Um, also, we can cut this, but... I dated this guy when I was studying abroad in New Zealand, Brendan. Or... Oh, we need to keep this in. <laughs> Brendan, as the Kiwis say. Um, and he would always contradict me on my pronunciation of the word glycerin, which he insisted was glycerine. And I said, maybe you Kiwis say glycerine, but in America we say glycerin. And he said, no, you're wrong. And he cited as evidence the Bush song glycerine, where in fact the dude does repeatedly say glycerine. And I'm like, dude, why did you do that? Like, he, it was like, I felt like Bush was throwing me under the bus because no American says glycerine. No, it's, it's glycerin. Yeah, and apparently even the Australians don't say glycerine. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know about this Brigden guy. What was his name? Brig his name was Brendan. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Um, oh yeah, I have in my notes, like, if I couldn't figure out this glycerin thing with, with Google, I have no idea how Miss Fisher could have figured it out without Google. She's a chemist. Apparently. She didn't even call in Dr. Mac, which would have made more sense. Uh, it's been a long time since we had Dr. Mac in an episode. Yeah, bring back Dr. Mac. I hope bring she's in the movie. <laughs> what? I hope she's in the movie. Oh, she better be. I don't know that Hugh is going to be in the movie, which concerns me. What? What, because I couldn't get him, or? I don't know. The, it's just the, the press release I read about it didn't say anything about him. We need him for comic Justin Bart. We need him for comic relief. I know. Amelia... Arabella, Anna. <laughs> um, anyway, so then Dot goes out for the mail, um, and she gets kidnapped by the Latvians. Of course. Who think that well, they've kidnapped Miss Fisher. What? They think they've kidnapped Miss Fisher, but it's actually just her maid. Which is stupid, because, like, they've seen Miss Fisher on, like, several occasions now. Yeah. Oh, no, they said one of their lackeys who hasn't seen her. A Latvian lackey. <laughs> Latvian lackeys and lovers is what this episode should have been called. So then they chain Dot to the radiator and give her a good smack on the mouth. Um, 
which Nina is, doesn't seem particularly pleased about. Um, so then after the lackeys leave, uh, Dot tells Nina to run to Miss Fisher. And also, like, why is Miss Fisher here? Or, sorry, why is Nina here? Why is she there at all? Because she's, like, in with the in with the, the guys. Yeah, but they just shot her fiancé for his, like, lack of loyalty. So wouldn't they have cut her out, too? Well, no, but they told her it was, like, a uh altercation with the security guards i guess so yeah but like i mean i would have thought this would have been a plot involving more people and they wouldn't have needed to like involve the women which seems like something that latvian anarchists well they're like they're anarchists you know it's all about freedom i guess so i mean have you ever heard the term manarchist no oh dude is that a thing you gotta google it manarchists it sounds bad it sounds like something that would make me uncomfortable yeah, it sounds, sounds like someone that would mansplain to you about radical ideology, yeah. basically, is what it is. <laughs> These guys weren't anarchists, though. They were just very inclusive anarchists. I guess so. And then Nina um, confronts them about using the gun and says, the cause is greater than any of us. Yeah. Or no, the guy says the cause is greater than any of us. And she says, greater than Yorka. And they say, he lost his way. And then she says, he was a traitor. But she seems really scared because she thinks they're onto to her. Yeah. Well, so she does. I mean, she she does. She has lost her way. She loses her way all the way to Miss Fisher's house, where she tells them exactly what's going on. Uh, they're going to use Dot as a hostage in a bank robbery. And do, I mean, do people ever rob banks? Is that just something that happens in the movies? This does. I, I think that was in real life before like security was more of a thing. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the siege of Sydney Street. I think this is like sort of reminiscent of the tactics that are historically accurate in London. So these Latvian anarchists, presumably in London, were robbing a jewelry store, which led to the siege of Sydney Street, and then they ran into Australia. And this is why Peter the Painter is like, you can't just do the same things here. It's going to be like all London all over again. So yeah. it is known tactics. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so then Miss Fisher is doubtful of Nina's credibility because she thinks she's just like one of Peter's ex-girlfriends, which is weird because it turns out She's his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of weird incest sort of hinted at in this episode. Nina also says that they wanted to kill Phryne, but they found out she was close to Peter. So they didn't kill Dot. Well, she was close to him in terms of physical proximity. But here's my question. How did they know they were dot, dot, dot close? Well, presumably because they saw him go into the house in the afternoon and not come out until the later afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or they were like creepily spying on them having sex yeah well presumably he just went in there and then didn't leave you know so they knew he was staying there right okay so then they go to the police station to warn them about the bank robbery and the jack rushes off to the to the bank to stop this but then immediately nina and her father start arguing um in i would say a manner unpleasant to behold in a lover of miss fisher Peter is quite rude to the do- yeah. to his daughter. And I, you know, I would expect these lovers to be perfect feminists and liberal parents, but I guess that's not the case. The year was 1928. Yeah, this I guess so. Picky. Yeah. Um, well, so Nina speaks Latvian like a child, apparently, and she's gotten the name of the, the street that the bank is in wrong. So Jack's rushed off to the wrong bank, and Miss Fisher is distraught. Now, riddle me this. Is she more worried about Dot or about Jack? Oh, no, wait, he's at the wrong bank, so he's not in danger. <laughs> yeah, I think she's worried about Dot. <laughs> that hypothesis is completely wrong. Totally wrong. <laughs> uh, so then Jack, Peter, and Hugh run to the other bank. And, of course, they're at the correct one, and the anarchists show up uh, with their old-timey machine gun. 
old timey machine gun. It's the Brownie automatic, Mackenzie. Yeah. Do you think that would be? Can you? Is that allowed? Can you own one of those? An old timey machine gun. Yeah. Is Not it like... in Massachusetts, but if you come to New Hampshire. <laughs> yes, listeners, we live across a, a very divisive border. I am down. One state is free. <laughs> I'm down here in Taxachusetts, as it's commonly known, where our freedoms are greatly restricted. And I live in New Hampshire, where you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Unless it's... Sorry. Yeah. Unless it's, um, buy alcohol at a non-state... Right, you you can't buy liquor from anyone except the state, and the bars close at 1 a.m., so... 1 a.m.? Wow, mm-hmm. I thought we had it bad with 2 a.m. Live free or die. Yeah. It's really for our own good. Nothing nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. I mean, my mom would say nothing good ever happens after midnight. Remember that time we went to New York and we stayed out till 4 in the morning? Yes, I do. Um, all right. Well, Miss Fisher does it all the time, but, you know, she doesn't have to go to work in the morning. Exactly. I'm saying she has the ideal schedule. She's pursuing her career, but she's also a lady of leisure somehow at the same time. All right. Well, so now we've we've gone on quite a tangent in a, in a tense moment uh, where the, the Dot is a hostage. These guys are trying to hold up this bank and um, Hugh in the scuffle, Hugh tries to save the day. But Miss Fisher ends up being the real hero, um, like through some well, kind of. Okay, okay, you're, you're just rushing through all of this. Okay. Here's the part where, where Peter shows, Brian and Peter, like, compare guns in a really suggestive manner. <laughs> where Peter's like, I am armed, and Brian's like, I'm armed, too. I'll and show like, you mine if you show me yours. Yeah, oh, it's definitely, that's what's going on, and it's, like, really weird, uh, it made me uncomfortable, anyways. But yeah, then the Lavians come in with their old time machine gun. Right. I'm jumping around a lot, but... Well, I left out an important part. Um, so then there's the scuffle, and Jack tries to... He gets Peter's gun and tries to shoot the Latvians, but they get the gun trained on him, and he has to drop his weapon, but then Miss Fisher pulls some kind of quick-change switcheroo and, and gets a jump on him. Um, and shoots him. Yeah, but then when the cops show up, the rest of them, Jack... <laughs> She doesn't, the rest of them. Yeah, she doesn't take credit, and she says Hugh is the one who saved the day, which is kind of cute. I mean, he does, like, wrestle the gun back. Yeah, but, I mean, you know. Anyways. <laughs> and then Nina arrives, Peter's been shot, and Peter tells her to go to Queensland and says he'll meet her there. Yeah. Um, which is very touching. Yeah. I guess. And, oh, Jack doesn't quite believe that Hugh would have been capable of saving the day, and, you know, I mean, like, shrewd man thinking that the guy who can't seem to answer a telephone without falling down might not successfully wrestle a gun away. From... And he, he asked him, he's like, how did you come to the possession of an unregistered weapon? As if the problem here is that it was unregistered. <laughs> yep. Um, so with that plot tidily tied up, uh, we're back to our needless secondary plot. Uh, flowers in the Attic couple. They crumple under the pressure of Miss Fisher's investigative skills. Um, wait, 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 wait. You skipped some. I skipped some. So Jack offers to escort Franny home, which is adorable. Also, he, like, gave you shit about this earlier in the episode. So, all right, Jack, who's taking Franny home now? It's you. 
And then when Friday gets home, she finds out that Jane has been reinstated to to, uh, Wally Grammer. And, like, Jane tells her this. And then Prudence comes in saying that she arranged it, even though, really, it seems like maybe Jane, like, got it on merit. But I don't know what was going on in that scene. Oh, right, 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 right. And then Dot brings in the newspaper, which reveals that Peter has miraculously escaped the authorities once again. Yeah, and the first time I watched it, I was like, escaped from what? He wasn't trying to rob a bank, and I thought they just got confused. But then on the second watch, I realized, like, Burr and Sass indicate that he is, in fact, Peter the Painter, wanted man. So. Yeah, he's on the run from the law. Yeah. Okay, so we go back to our forbidden lovers, and they crumple under the pressure of Miss Fisher's investigative skills. Of course they do. They always do. So Lila discovered them. Probably just totally in full frontal. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> That'd be enough to drive you. Into, like, that would be a lot to process as a teenager. Yeah, definitely. Gross. Do you think that the baby is actually Paul's baby, or is it... I think that's the implication. I wonder it's so small. Little melon. I don't think that's how babies work. It is. No, it is. No. Just, just go with it. <laughs> 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 So, yeah, um, so presumably, I think this is a little bit, it's a little bit unclear, but presumably the stepmother took Lila to the asylum to prevent her indiscretions from being revealed, um, and that's why she paid off the convent, because if, you know, if the, if Lila went to the convent, she still could have tattled on them for their gross affair. Right, I think, like, the stepmom's deal was she convinced Lila that she was going crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that even if, like, even if she did tell someone about the incest, everyone would be like, no, you're crazy. Yeah, and then everyone would just be ignoring the blatant signs of, like, the stepmom caressing Paul's face, etc. Yeah, that seems like, because that's how Franny figured it out. It's like, well, why are you... <sighs> yeah, like, newsflash, it was obvious to everyone. Also, if you're trying to hide an affair, like, people know I'm dating Rob, and I don't go around, like, caressing his face in public. Anyway. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, so then she's in, again, talking to Mr. Waddington, a.k.a. cuckolded husband, who doesn't seem particularly distraught about this development. That's weird. Yeah. Um, And she tells him that in lieu of payment, she's willing to just have him make peace with his dock workers. Which just magically works. Yeah, and I honestly, I seriously doubt that Miss Fisher would continue to get these high-end clients if she was continually using their indiscretions to blackmail them, like she's doing in this scene. You know, she's forcing him to do it. He's not going to tell anyone else that it's happening. I guess so, but I mean, did you think if they're like rich man parties, he's like, well, I hired Miss Fisher and uh, I found her to be highly indiscreet, you know? Maybe. It's like a bad Yelp review. Yeah, but but ultimately she solved the crime that he was asking her to solve. True. Uh, And then in the next scene, um, our final scene, uh, Jack, for some reason, is also at the back of the dock. um, And he reveals that he participated in the firemen and policemen strike of 23. Oh, I meant to look that up and I didn't. Yeah. It was a real thing. And apparently a lot of good men did lose their jobs. Uh, I believe it. Yeah. So this is our first hint that Jack is may I say, a liberal-minded man? Hmm. <laughs> uh, Friday says, I thought you were more of a fence-sitter. And then he says, and probably the the only line of this episode worth remembering, <laughs> it would be a tactical error to think that you had me pegged just yet. <laughs> so true. So true. And that wraps it up. 
That's it. Yeah. And then Friday drives off in her Spanish visa. Indeed, she does. Um, did you want to recap the murder method or the uh, abducted to an asylum method? <sighs> Here's what I have. <laughs> this is a deep sigh. So, the, the lat murder recap. The Latvian rebels were smuggling ammo into the city for a bank robbery. Peter encouraged Yorka to take a stand against violent tactics, and Yorka was killed by friendly fire from his fellow anarchists. The Doc Shrikes and the Misting Girl were unrelated. <laughs> cool. Surprise. Again, I did not remember the plot lines of the murderer because I mixed it up with other episodes and plot lines because this one was so convoluted and kind of boring, frankly. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, well, to just keep the positive things rolling here, what did you have as your worst outfit of the week? Um, I had it as Nina's hat. Which, <laughs> um, all right, why did I, oh, oh, the hat, it looks like it has mushrooms on the side. It does. It's like, it's really bad. But let's not give too much credit to her hat. Her coat was also pretty ugly. <laughs> I mean... I assume she didn't have a lot of money and whatever, but yeah, it was bad. True. Um, that was a runner-up for me, but uh, number one was definitely the Latvian outfit that Miss Fisher wears. It's very. I kind of liked. I don't know. I kind of liked it, but it was really contrived. That's like, I mean, it's like, would you wear like a tutu if you were going to see the ballet? I don't know. Would you no, wear this? Would you wear the shirt of the band that you're going to see to the concert? No, I wear a shirt of a different band. Yeah, but, like, carefully selected. Oh, yeah. What did you have for best outfit? Uh, I definitely had the white ensemble from the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. Incredibly impractical, though it proved to be. It was pretty stunning. Yeah. I had the coat at the end that sort of, like, has the, like, nice, very delicate pattern on it. Yeah. All right. I don't know. All right. Murder method? Uh, I am giving the gunshot a one for being totally pedestrian, but the non-murder method of tampering with the painting with glycerin, I'm giving a seven for just absolute total fuckery and ridiculousness. Okay, I didn't rate that one, but I agree with your rating. The murder method, I gave a two. I think that the element that brought it from a one to a two for me was the, like, friendly fire element. It doesn't friendly fire imply an accident, though? Oh, you're right. Still. I gave it a two. It's still pretty low. Um, what'd you give the sexual tension? A three. A three? Well, there's some. Not a lot. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I gave it a four, um, and that really is generous, but there's, I mean, there's a little extra credit here because of the excellent tension between Peter and Miss Fisher, um, which really was more like an a level eight, you know? Um, but in terms of- Yeah, like, like, creeping into her bedroom and then just- suddenly having sex like that's yeah. some serious sexual tension yeah um but what i really want to see obviously is jack and miss fisher and for that there was like zilch none although we did get in this episode um a little bit of jack being protective of Franny, which isn't like really sexual but i thought it was rather charming yeah we're ratcheting up um and yeah. your absurd miss fisher skill of the week um i put chemistry for the glycerin <laughs> then i also put union negotiator union negotiator i mean I don't know. She just, like, did it in one fell swoop, but people really work work at that, you know, negotiating between unions and the big boss. Well, this is Miss Fisher, so she's got, you know, she's got those Collingwood roots. Wait, is that where she's from? Yeah. And, but she's, you know, she's got the, the trappings of a rich lady, so she's just crossing those picket lines, and anyway, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, 
What did you have? <laughs> uh, I had that she speaks Russian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That was better than mine. No, I think they're all ridiculous, all of them. True. 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 What do you think was the number one political issue that was being addressed in this episode? Incest. Incest? No. <laughs> I don't think so. What, union? You, well, well, they didn't really go there. I think it was sort of very obliquely, maybe, the conflict between, like, violent and non-violent protest methods. But okay. not even really that. Uh, all right, there's also, I'll, I'll give you, like, I don't know, mental health care? Like, That's why true. was admitted into an asylum sort of against her will and by trickery? That's true, yeah. For best, we got into Hugh, because... He got a lot of help in his career, and I think he did a good job in the investigation. Um, I'm gonna have to think of something on the fly here. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with best week for Jane. Number one, hair ribbons. Number two, uh, Miss Fisher doesn't seem to care that she misbehaves. Yeah, she pretty much has license to, like, mess up at school now. Yeah, she's really coming up in the world. Yeah. All right, worst week? I had Nina. Um, her life really just falls apart in this episode. Yeah, she loses her fiancé, but at least she gets reunited with her father. All right, this is silver lining. Yeah. All right, um, so worst week, I think I would have to agree, Nina. She definitely yep. had the rough week. All right. Yeah, well, that, I think that's it. that wraps us up. And next week we are going to be reviewing Season 1, Episode 5, which is Raisins and Almonds. Ah, yeah, this is an interesting episode. Yeah, I like the music in this one, and I also like that I think that uh, Jack and Franny are going to get, like, their faces really close together again. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to see Jack and Franny get their faces close together again. Yeah. What fun. Yeah. (laughs) On that note, we'll wrap up.